What is going on, guys? You are listening to an episode of Mind vs. Muscle where I interview Paul Ravella. He is owner of Pro Physique. He is a pro natural bodybuilder. He's had over a decade of experience in the game. Um, he coaches a lot of natural pro bodybuilders, a lot of uh, amateur bodybuilders, a lot of pro powerlifters, a lot of athletes. He has a crazy history um, from where he made a huge transformation from scrawny to brawny um, in his journey. He's worked with some big names, including people like Dr. Lane Norton. Um, you're going to get a lot of info and a lot of content in this episode and a lot of uh, knowledge just from his general experience in the game and a lot of good uh, banter back and forth between me and him on business, um, both of our philosophies in that world. We're going to talk about dieting long-term versus short-term. We're going to talk about contest prepping. We're going to talk about building muscle. We're going to talk about fat loss, sports. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, guys. You're really going to enjoy this episode, so stay tuned and uh, check out the interview with me and Paul. So welcome to the Mind vs. Muscle podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Why don't you kind of just give yourself a little intro? I obviously know a lot about you and Theo does too. So give the people a little bit more info about who Paul is. Well, for the people that are interested in your podcast that are you know, involved in uh, the fitness industry and trying to better themselves, uh, my history with training began in about 1991 or 92, which is going to sound really long time ago when I was in high school. And um, so I've always been kind of obsessed with the gym and, you know, adding muscle and being lean and uh, the whole nine. But then in 2007, I watched a video series uh, about a guy named Lane Norton and uh, it's called Life of a Natural Pro on bodybuilding.com. And uh, before that, I had never considered competing because I had, I had never wanted to really do steroids, and I thought that was kind of what the sport was about. And he introduced the world to, uh, at least to uh, a lot of us, the world of natural bodybuilding. And so I reached out to Lane, uh, ended up working with him, competing a couple times. I had some success. I was able to earn a pro card, and uh, Lane and I actually became very good friends. He ended up moving to Florida where I lived. And uh, after several years of prodding, he got me into coaching, and it got to the point where uh, I actually got back into school and uh, made coaching, an online coaching, and uh, nutrition and training and all things philosophy that are related to that. My, uh, my whole life, I was able to uh, quit my job and do this full-time, so I'm very blessed in that regard. But yeah, I, just, I'm, I guess I'm just a part of the movement of online coaching and um, natural bodybuilding, but I just consider myself a, a fan of the sport and uh, a student of the lifestyle. Okay, very cool. So I, I know exactly what movie you're talking about with Lane and everything. I actually didn't know that he's what got you into uh, the sport because from an outside perspective, I, I can tell you guys are actually really good friends now. Um, so I was unaware that he was kind of your coach before the friendship even happened. Yeah, it was uh, it was weird because, you know, at the time, I mean, in 2006, 2007, you got to understand, I don't, you might not remember that time, but we got our information from magazines. So message boards and instant messenger and these things that started coming out, it didn't really occur to me to go look online for things I was interested in. And I, I remember one day at work, I just typed in bodybuilding on the Google and just see what came up and bodybuilding.com came up. 
And, um, you know, I eventually found that video series and I, I emailed Lane when that video series came out. And this was well before his meteoric rise to, you know, kind of uh, nutrition coach uh, stardom. And he replied to me right then. And uh, we just, we started up, struck up a conversation. I said, hey, I'm considering competing next year. What should I do? And he gave me the whole nine. Let's start with the building phase. And he looked at my pictures. And, um, you know, back then, online coaching wasn't, wasn't a thing, you know, everyone thought I was kind of crazy. All the people in, that, that were around me thought I should be working with the, the local guy in the gym who, uh, you know, who was the guru. But, um, you know, I just felt like Lane was saying the things that I wanted to hear in his video series. Right. And I think it's safe to say he's kind of the guy that built the foundation for online coaching, essentially. He was one of the pioneers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this. Like, Dr. Joe was the first. But I think Lane was the the trailblazer because Dr. Joe isn't by nature a uh, a social media you know building his own brand type person. He was he was one of the grassroots guys, if not the grassroots guy for flexible dieting and kind of an evidence based approach. But Lane was the one going on the internet and arguing with people and explaining and bashing people over the head with his beliefs because he thought it would better the sport and you know thank god he did because it's it's he's dragged us forward a lot faster than we've gotten here we would have gotten here i think but he really took the brunt of it and you know he catches a lot of hate for that but you know he's a man of his uh you know beliefs and um he's really done great things from my perspective for the sport absolutely i'm I'm a big follower of his so let's go back a little bit talk about your transformation i i saw you do a post pretty recently and it it's safe to say you grew up a pretty skinny guy, and, and this is cool because Theo was always the same way. Theo was actually a client of mine a, a way back, and he came to me, and he was the same way. He grew up really, really skinny, so always had struggles putting on size, and, and now he's a fairly big dude. So you guys have a very similar story, and I actually think you guys both played basketball as well. So why don't you kind of give us the story behind being the skinny guy and what that was like? Because we see a lot of people that come to us with fat loss, and it's and it's – a self-confidence issue and a self-esteem issue where people are really afraid to get out there and be confident and have good energy. Um, but it's usually the opposite spectrum of you. Most people look at skinny guys and they're like, man, I wish I could eat whatever I want. Right. And I, I don't think people realize that it's, it really is the same struggle as far as self-confidence and being able to be that bigger dude. Um, it's just on the opposite spectrum. So why don't you kind of give us your, your feedback and your story upon the transformation you made from the beginning and then obviously when you met Lane and, and started going a little more in depth with the bodybuilding side. Yeah, I think early on, you know, I was always very, very lanky and skinny. And um, I think it could have affected me more if I wasn't, um, you know, I don't want to like be too confident here, but I was very good at sports. I was very athletic as a kid and, uh, you know, I'm still very athletic. I was you know, I could dunk a basketball in high school. I, I threw 90 miles an hour. I actually played college baseball on scholarship. So I think uh, even though I was very insecure with my weight and people picked on me, um, it, it always kind of, I brushed it off as whatever, like I'm doing these things with my life. I'm happy with it. Um, but I do think it always stuck with me and the desire to put on more muscle you know, growing up, I remember seeing pictures of people like Bo Jackson and, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, the great athletes and and, and always admiring that. And um, so when I started the process of lifting weights, I noticed an immediate change in my physique. You know, it was I would get feedback from people like, oh, you've been working out. And so it kind of just started building this momentum. 
And when uh, when my baseball career ended after college, I decided not to pr- pursue chasing that dream. Um, then bodybuilding and lifting weights became my priority. It was my outlet for all those years of athletic, you know, putting you're putting your your heart and soul into something for for more than ten years, like I did with baseball. When you take that away, uh, the, the gym became my savior. Uh, I became you know I was there every day. I loved it. And I uh, did the wrong things for years. You know, I, I obviously didn't train optimally, didn't eat optimally, but the fact is I was just so consistent. Um, but when I, when I found Lane, it started to provide that impetus to go from stuck in that intermediate phase to where I was, okay, now I wasn't, a train, I wasn't afraid to train with more frequency. I learned how to pay attention to my nutrition. I didn't fear food anymore. Again, when we go back to these magazines and, and things you read, you know, I still have all the magazines that I've ever bought. And I look at the articles and laugh, you know, like the things that they preached were uh, pretty ridiculous if you weren't a genetically elite bodybuilder taking a lot of steroids. Yeah. Um, so Lane just introduced that evidence-based approach of consistency, simplicity, uh, not being afraid of overtraining. That's another thing that was a big common thing in all the magazines. Don't overtrain. Don't overtrain. One, one body part, one day a week. Right. And uh, when I found Lane... It was almost like starting over again. You know that first six months or a year in the gym? Well, I found that again when I was 30 because of Lane. And I, 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 had, I started making progress again like I was new in the sport. And uh, it kind of reinvigorated me. And, and um, even though I'd been in the gym 10 years already, it really took me to that next level. Okay. So, so when did you officially start your coaching then? Because you said you didn't meet and start working with Lane until you were 30. And, and you, you're, are you still fairly new? I know you've been in the coaching game for at least several years, correct? Yeah, I've been full-time coaching for three years now. I start, I've been coaching in, uh, in a capacity for five years, okay. um, which doesn't sound like that long. But when you consider how long online coaches have been prevalent, that's pretty much yeah. longer than anybody other than like people like Lane and, you know, even back when I started, you know, the, the message boards were a who's who of the fitness industry now. Like, my friends were like Alberto Nunez. Like, that's who we used to talk to on the message board was Alberto and, of course, Lane and uh, people like Tommy Jeffers and, you know, the people that have come out and done such great things in this industry, uh, Ben Esgro. These are all names of people on the message boards. So, yeah, it's um, it's been three years full-time and five years overall, and it was with a lot of hesitancy when, you know, Lane, Lane was getting more client requests and he, he struggled with uh, the amount of bad coaching that was going on. And he wanted more resources because he couldn't take on all the clients that he was getting requests from. Okay. I see. So, so you would say he's probably a big influence of your coaching essentially. Yeah. Basically what I did was, uh, you know, when I started coaching, it was at Lane's request and I, I felt I had to uphold the standard that he was putting out there. Right. Uh, you know, at the time, and, and still pretty prevalent, you hear about coaches that don't answer emails for days or weeks at a time that are unresponsive, that send out cookie cutter plans that basically uh, treat clients like a flock of sheep. And they, you know, and uh, the thing about Lane was that every client was replied to in a quick fashion, in a complete fashion. And all the programs were developed specifically based around that person's uh, unique information. And so I've just applied that same thing 
and, uh, you know, if you have a good service and you do well and, uh, you're going to flourish. I mean, my business has grown through word of mouth, through, you know, client referrals through, you know, the best thing I can ever get is when I work with a client and then I sign up his sister and then I sign up his brother and then I sign up his mom, which happens quite frequently. So that's how you grow a business is by providing greater value than anybody else out there. So yeah, Lane, what I felt Lane was doing then, I've tried to take that and continue moving forward with it. Right. So for me personally, I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum as far as I was actually kind of a chubbier kid growing up. Um, Then I got really into soccer, had some actually serious injuries at the end of high school and then got even heavier. But I think the similarity is, is is what really people always ask me, like, what got me into the industry? Why do I write so much? Why do I coach online? I coach in a gym. I do all these things. And for me, it was because I made a transformation, right? I know what the gym did for me. And that's what built that passion. And I think the best coaches kind of share that exact same philosophy where the whole reason they do it is because they fell in love with them themselves, right? One thing that I noticed is like, I know for me personally, I surrounded myself with a really high level coach and it was just kind of uh, contagious to me to want to do more and do the same thing he did. And like you said, he held himself at such a high standard with his business, his career, everything like that, that I felt the need to do it as well because when he couldn't see clients anymore because he does like the business side of everything now, I was kind of the right hand guy that was able to take on those clients. So it sounds really similar so the reason I ask is, is there any other people in your life that you found that were extremely influential? Because there's always that saying, like the, the five people that surround you are probably going to dictate who you become, how you act, how your career ends up, all those things. Was there a tactic behind that or did you just somehow surround yourself with great people? Uh, there's definitely never a tactic, but I do agree that uh, the people you surround yourself with is um, – going to influence the person you are. But I don't, I don't think you can say, oh, I'm going to go hang around Lane Norton or I'm going to go hang around this person and improve myself. The reason I got to hang out with Lane Norton was because I stepped outside my comfort zone. I reached out to him. I worked with him. I met him at an expo. We had a lot in common. He moved to Tampa. And so if any of those factors had not been in place, we would not have become as close. You know, if, if, if I was a shitty client or I didn't put my heart and soul into this or if I didn't ask him the right questions or if he didn't feel I was going to be good at coaching, um, if, you know, he saw that I had the same passion that he did. You know, we did some videos together for Simply Shredded. You know, we kind of built this rapport and then through that, uh, we got to spend time together. It wasn't, it wasn't a situation where I, you know, consciously thought, oh, I need to spend time with Lane if I want to live that life. I had no desire to coach. I had no desire. I loved my career. I was in IT. I had been doing it for a decade, um, doing very well. You know, my, my career was on the upward path, and I loved what I was doing. So there was never a conscious decision to, to quit that job to coach. The reason I quit that job to coach was more because just how much I enjoyed coaching. As much as I liked IT, I loved the coaching and the fitness part of it much better and so I actually excelled at it greater. I put more effort into it. Right. I would, you know, nights and weekends and free time were all into fitness. And so, you know, that, there's that thing about if you work a nine to five job, you're never really going to get ahead. You're, you're going to work nine to five. If, if, you, if it's a truly a career, you do it in your spare time. You do it with, with all, every breath you take. There's something going on with that. And when you finally find your passion, like with, with me, with the fitness world, even though I had been involved in it, 
I never, I never really occurred to me that it was a career or an option. Yep. And so being around Lane kind of allowed that to happen, but absolutely. But I think as you hold yourself to a higher standard, you'll find the people you spend time with are people of that caliber. So, you know, I used to play a lot of softball on the weekends. I used to play in volleyball leagues. I used to play in baseball. I used to always be doing these leagues and, you know, we'd go out drinking after. But when I started getting into bodybuilding and competing and going to expos, those kind of friendships that are based around drinking and extracurricular activities that are, while they're fun and they're great, they're not improving my life quality at all. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and so if you're constantly looking to improve yourself, you're going to find that you're working your way into a different level of uh, friendships and, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded. Absolutely. So was there, do you think that there was a specific turning point? Was there a point where you started just marketing yourself more? You started going to more shows. What was that point where you were like, is, was there a point where you were getting full or you had so many client applications that you were like, man, I really can take this full on? Or was there a point where you were like, I just need to make the switch and then turn the hustle on a little bit harder on the online coaching and then start marketing and, and really attacking it? Yeah, so I've never really marketed myself as an online coach. Uh, I've, I've had the, the, the fortune of being associated with Lane and he got so many client requests I basically, for the first two years, just made a living with online coaching from those client requests. Um, when I finally made the switch was, you know, after a couple of years of doing it, and then when, when I started making more money with my online coaching than I was with my career, that's when it kind of occurred to me, and I talked to my wife, and I said, um, you know, like, there's something here. Like, I, I don't know, like, I'm very pessimistic when it comes, I've, I've always been a nine, I've always had a job, you know, since I was 15, and I've always been like that, go to work, get a paycheck, be secure type of guy. Right. Owning my own business is very scary. And so, even when I was out earning my job, I still would be like, no, I ha that's not going to happen next month. That was a one-month fluke, right? Yeah. And there was a trend where it was going up every month, every month, more clients, more, you know, and uh, it still didn't occur to me, like, this should be a thing. What actually happened was my wife, who is herself, uh, you know, one of the hardest working people I've ever met and very driven and very motivated. And that's, you know, part of the reason I married her was working for Chase. And she was a uh, getting up into the executive level. She had gotten promoted to branch manager. And then what happened was she got promoted to a regional manager. The thing was, she had to move to make that job happen. So we lived in Orlando at the time. She had to move to Jacksonville to take this position. Well, it was a big pay increase. And um, so we had the opportunity for me to leave my job, her to take this pay increase, move to Jacksonville, basically, you know, keep our income roughly the same. And then if my online business kept doing the same, we would be in a great position. So it was kind of a leap of faith at that time. And so when I decided to make that leap of faith, I did exactly what you're talking about. I said, what should I do? And I'll never forget, Lane called me and said, hey, my wife is uh, is." pregnant and we're not going to, she's not going to go to the Olympia with me this year. Do you want to go? I've got all the passes. I've got all the stuff, the room, fly out there and just hang out with me. Well, at that Olympia walking around with Lane Norton, uh, when he was, you know, in my, probably at his peak. I mean, he, that's when he was announcing the Olympia. I don't know if you remember those years, but he was actually, so when I would walk around with Lane and shake people's hands and get to know them. And I met, you know, the owners of this company and that company and the, you know, people for the IFBB, and uh, he was giving me passes to go, like, you know, the VIP section and backstage because, you know, his wife would usually take on that role. 
what what I, what happened was when I got home, I got inundated with, "Hey, I met you at the Olympia." "Hey, I met you at the Olympia." It was like, it was I, I don't want to call it a coming out party, but it was like people that were wanting to work with Lane or wanting to know more about Lane and realized he was too full had a person that they could reach out to. Right. And um, I had recently quit my job. I was living with my wife in Jacksonville. Didn't have anything to do but lift weights. And uh, so I was basically just working around the clock at that point. And that's when I started to say, this, this can be a thing. Um, I, ju- I just noticed a big change because I went from a guy who did some online coaching but had a other career to a coach. So that perception is very powerful. Absolutely. Um, it's a, I think association is such a big thing. Just just the fact that, like you said, people can look at you and know that Lane trusts you, and that says a lot to a lot of people that trust Lane, right? So association is a big thing. Um, you say you don't do much marketing. That's actually something I wanted to ask you about because I follow a lot of your stuff, and I noticed that you actually don't do much marketing. And one thing that I've noticed as I've – my whole – growth of my uh, online coaching, which I've only been doing that for about a year, but I've been writing a blog for six years now. And I always tell people like the reason it's grown to what it's grown is because I just, I write blogs every single week. I write statuses on Instagram and Facebook every week. I try to film videos. Once I started diving into Facebook advertisement and stuff like that, I was actually really disappointed with the uh, return of investment because I really didn't get much clients from that, if any. Yet I kept getting clients from my blogs and in my links through my Instagram and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you kind of have the same, I guess not tactic, but strategy behind it because you put out a lot of content. For example, you did a YouTube video every day for a good, I think it was even just a week because you had so many Q and A's, but then it's kind of trickled along and I've noticed you've been putting out a lot more content, which I've been loving by the way. Um, Really, really good strategy because it's just so consistent. So I've found myself going to, because you're a coach that I look up to for, for advice, I've found myself going to just to check your YouTube every day to see when the next video has came up, right? Is that kind of how you've essentially marketed yourself, but just really just putting out content or, or making appearances at places? Like what, what was your big, big uh, aha moment with that? Um, so I have a couple different things. The first is as a coach, it's very important to not be known as an online coach. Like even though my coaching is online, I still try to attend as many of my client shows as possible, be a part of their journey. Um, that really helps because when people see you at a client's show and you put, you put that out there, then people know that they're getting a real coach. Right. Um, so whether it's through my clients who have big followings that talk about me or um, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all, and YouTube, it's all very powerful. But when I say I don't market, I guess that's kind of false because I do market, but I believe what you, what, what you just exposed is that it's all about content and being a content provider. So the person that has influenced me the most in that regard is, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a very vocal, very, um, uh, outspoken person about the power of building your own brand. And when I started watching his videos and he discussed it, um, I found I had a lot of predisposition to be not a YouTuber or not going to use Snapchat or Snapchat is only for kids or Instagram is only for, you know, you kind of have these uh, things built up. And what I really learned was the value of building my own brand, being my own brand. Like you said, the consistency, putting out information, 
uh, getting to this place took me years. I couldn't have made these videos a few years ago. I just I wouldn't have been confident enough to do them. It's taken me working with uh, you know over a thousand clients and being involved in so many uh, seminars and going to school and feeling comfortable giving out information because it has to be it has to be confident. It has to be authentic. Um, so my videos, while I'm providing you information, it's also authentic to what I tell my clients. And so they actually started as a value add for my clients. I have a, I have a, a page for my clients, and they would ask questions. And so I would answer the questions. And, I, and, it, and it occurred to me one day, if my clients have these questions, because sometimes they seem to come in ebbs and flows. A lot of people ask the same questions, and I'm yeah. sure it's because somebody puts out some content and a lot of people hear it, or a, a story comes out on the news. And so what I thought was, if my clients have these questions, I can kill two birds with one stone. I can put out a video that addresses their concerns, and I can also put out a video that addresses the concerns of fitness populace that may also be having this and don't have the luxury of a coach. Um, and it, it also asks, it also uh, acts a bit as a a diary for me or something like if I have a client that says, "Hey, coach." You know, how do you squat? Well, I happen to have a squat tutorial video that I did with Danny Bove, who has a master's degree in kinesiology and biomechanics. So I, I have these at my disposal. So what, now what I'm doing is I'm actually trying to build a, a value add for people that associate with me that are my clients and friends and want to be involved, like you said, watching my videos on a regular basis. So I'm trying to build up kind of a, uh, not a legacy, but just a, a library of, of things that I've done and said so that I can refer to that if someone asks the same question over and over, you know? Yeah. It's working, man. It's working. I, I couldn't agree more with Gary V is one of my, uh, big go-tos for following me and Theo are both big, uh, big proponents of him. My boss actually had the chance to go visit him in New York and stuff and said it was an unbelievable experience. So I can't even, wow. can't even imagine having a, a conversation with that guy to be honest with you, but it would be great. So let's kind of switch gears and talk more about like training and nutrition and stuff like that. Um, we have a lot of mixed listeners. We have a lot of trainers that actually listen to our podcast, but we also have a lot of clients that are either more lifestyle oriented who really just want to build some muscle, lose some body fat and just feel better. So they don't have a strict timeline. It's more of just a, a lifestyle behind it. Um, yeah. And then we have a lot of people that are more into the aesthetic side of things where they do want to either do a show or they want to achieve that physique of somebody that would uh, be on a show. So I would like to know your uh, kind of your approach to a more of a lifestyle client because I'm assuming you have more bodybuilding physique clients but I'm assuming you still do work with people that may hire you and say I don't really want to do a show but you know I want to lose x amount of weight and I want to keep that off for the next year because I'm, I'm really just trying yeah. to be leaner for life what's your approach for a more lifestyle based client because there's not a, a time restricted deadline uh, I'd love to give you the black and white this is what's best for a lifestyle client but ultimately what I'll do is I'll I'll set up a time to speak with them. I give them a questionnaire. And what I want to know is what are their goals and what is the time frame that's realistic for them to reach those goals? And then how much time do they have to commit? Right? So I have clients that can only train three days a week um, for an hour each session. And I have clients that can train six, seven days a week or twice a day, or they're trainers themselves and they, they're in the gym all day. So my approach for a lifestyle client is to find what they enjoy. Do they want to be making gains as far as increasing their strength or do they only care specifically about body composition? They don't care how strong they are. What motivates you and what motivates me is going to be different than what motivates Sally and Jack. So 
it's, it's um, you know, I say this all the time, but the psychology of the athlete is probably the most important thing about them, knowing what gets them going. You know, if someone reaches out to me and says, hey, I know you, you do this type of philosophy, but I like going to CrossFit twice a week. Can I do that? Hell yes, you can do CrossFit. If the CrossFit gets you excited to put on your tights and get in the gym and work out for 30 minutes, then do it. I'm all about building a program around a person's specific goals and what gets them motivated and not holding them to some uh, standard from the 1950s hardcore bodybuilder. You have to do deadlifts and you have to do barbell rows and you have to do all these movements that, uh, you know, while maybe effective, just aren't safe or aren't uh, proper for this person. So I try to be very open-minded. Uh, I myself am open-minded. I've tried various things, you know, although I've never done CrossFit, I have clients that do it and love it. So uh, for me, I can't really tell you what specifically I would do for that person, but I would try to optimize every second that I have with them, with their nutrition and training for that lifestyle purpose. Okay. So a lot of what I got out of that is, is something we keep preaching on the podcast too, is that adherence is probably the most important thing. Right? Very important. So whatever you were trying to do right there with them is, is anything that you could possibly do to help them stay adherent to some kind of training and nutrition playing, right? Yeah. So let's talk about cardio. A question that I got recently is uh, talking about adding in and taking out cardio. Um, I work with some people that are doing bikini shows and bodybuilding shows, stuff like that. And it's a little bit easier to set them up on a cardio plan and then kind of explain the whole point of after the show. The goal is to reverse out of most of that cardio. But for a lifestyle client, their question after hearing me talk about this on the podcast was kind of like, how do you go about that if you don't really have a deadline? Like I want to add in cardio to lose weight and I'm not necessarily in a hurry, but I want to see it fall off. How do you go about setting up a cardio program with somebody who is in more of a lifestyle situation where they just want to lose fat? Is there a specific strategy or, or amount of specific time that you try to stay away from go getting to? Do you plan on adding a lot in to get them to the result and then just weaning it off? How do you go about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It comes down to adherence. As you said, I'll actually ask people, okay, we've hit a sticking point or at this point we need to create a greater caloric deficit to keep fat loss going. What sounds worse to you, cardio or less calories? And um, some people love cardio. Some people are cardio junkies. Some people are would rather eat dirt and do no cardio. So it all comes down to with a lifestyle client specifically is adherence, consistency, what they look forward to and um, adjusting based on that. Now, there's going to come a time when they want to get, depending on how lean they want to get, it's going to get uncomfortable and it's going to get tough. And that's where we can start to look at uh, different types of cardio, different intensities, um, you know, getting more aggressive with uh, multiple cardio sessions per day if necessary. But for the lifestyle client, I find that to be pretty rare unless they're planning to do a photo shoot or you know, when you start to get to sub 8 7% body fat, that's when you have to start playing with those variables for the most part. If I have to get somebody doing more than 30, 40 minutes of cardio five or six days a week and it's a lifestyle client, I think then it's time to start looking at, okay, what's a reasonable expectation for where your current metabolic rate is and how lean we're going to get. Okay, so that kind of leads into my next question actually, so we can jump right to that. Avoiding hormonal like down regulation when you are dieting or adding cardio. You did a video that really sparked this question to come up um, and it talked about 
um, the metabolism over the long run and in it falling down and, and trying to bring it back up and repairing it essentially um, because I, we know there's just all this talk about metabolic damage and how it's not really metabolic damage but it's metabolic adaptation and so on and so forth. How do you go about avoiding that in general or I think it's safe to say and most people listening to this podcast will understand that if you're going to do a show, you got to kind of expect a little bit of that to happen. Um, and that's just part of it. Now, you can repair it over months and months afterwards and try to bring that back up slowly, but you have to be ready for that journey. Now, as far as somebody who has a year long with me and they just want to lose weight and it could be 40 to 80 pounds and they want to keep that off, how do you go about doing this big weight loss? Like you had a transformation. I think the guy lost probably looked like over 100 pounds and then he actually got on stage. Yeah. So someone like him, I'm assuming that's going to take quite a while, right? So that to me yeah. is somewhat of a lifestyle uh, transformation. How do you go about avoiding the down regulation of metabolism, uh, sex hormones, all that? Uh, the, the best thing to do is A, set realistic expectations because metabolic adaptations, hormonal changes, when you're talking about losing a lot of body fat, that is going to happen. That is your body's response to what you're doing. So. Uh, with someone like Garrett, the guy you talked about, um, I did a video on how to lose 100 pounds. He came to me two years ago, and he said he wanted to do a show, and he was over 300 pounds. And, you know, based on where he was, a drug-free bodybuilder, 300 pounds, I told him his stage weight was going to be around 200. And so, you know, he kind of probably thought that was low at the time. But, you know, the one thing about having a little bit of experience and I have a little bit of trust for people, uh, you know, he, he said, let's start and let's see where we get. So we got to about 2.30 after a year. And he was starting to look good, but he was still far from stage shape. Right. So when we got him down to 2.30, that's when things got rough. That's when the fat loss stalled. That's when the calories were low. The cardio was high. His, his motivation was low. His sex drive was low. All his things. We spent the next six months reverse dieting. That's the, the process you're talking about. The, uh, the restoring the metabolic uh, rates, the bringing the hormones back up the allowing the body to just get back into a comfortable place. And during that time, his weight came up into the 240 range. And uh, I actually had to have a heart to heart with him. And I said, Hey, listen, if you want to do a bodybuilding show at the end of the year, we got to stop this weight gain. And uh, you know, when I talked to him, he said, yeah, I've, I've been not tracking. I've, I'm dating someone now seriously. So we've been being a little more social. Well, that talk kind of sparked his uh, rebirth. He actually signed up for my show, the, the Florida West coast classic in Tampa uh, it was on November 5th, or uh, I got the flyer here. Yeah, it was on November 5th this year. So we had a good 20-plus weeks to diet, got him down to about 202, 203 for stage, and he looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, for losing over 100 pounds, you know, the little bit of loose skin that he had on his lower abdomen basically was almost non-noticeable. Um, and that guy has just continued to impress me because he's reverse dieting now, and uh, he's going to do my show again next year. This year he did the show to do it. Next year he wants to do the show to win it. You know, he's a big guy. I mean, six foot, two hundred pound guy. He's a big dude. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the biggest thing is just taking each individual situation um, and looking at it. You know, some people maintain a leaner physique on more calories, but no matter, no matter how blessed you are, it's gonna suck if you're gonna get truly stage lean. If you're gonna go for that Brian Whitaker uh, conditioning. You're going to have to embrace the suck at the end of prep. Hormones, don't even bother looking at them. Yeah. Sex drive, don't even wonder about it. Hunger, it's going to be through the roof. You're going to need <laughs> high levels of caffeine just to get through your day. But that's 
that's the sport. Um, unless you're going to take drugs, that's the sport. And, right. and for those of us that decide to do this drug free, we understand that. But we also, the good thing about understanding and putting the information out there is that we now know, you know, I've got the Chris Foz study still written up on my board behind me there, the uh, case study where he did his hormones for a full year, six months into prep, six months out of prep. And lo and behold, after six months coming out of prep, everything was back to normal. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just about understanding that. And for God's sake, do not go to the doctor a week out from your show and get your blood drawn because he's going to think you're ready to die. Yeah, so. something's really wrong. So yeah. going off of that, do you think that there's hormonally a difference between – because a, a big trend now in as of probably the last couple of years at least – has been a much longer prep where I think back in the day it was pretty common to say, okay, we have 12 weeks, let's grind it like crazy until we get to that show, which is obviously not um, as sustainable, especially on the aftermath because that's what led to so many binges and, and rebounds on weight gain. Um, is there a hormonal difference in dieting for six months versus three or is either way you losing that significant amount of weight – gonna damage the hormones about the same um the only difference being that after six months it's a little bit easier to keep that weight off versus rebounding and regaining a bunch yeah i believe the body responds better if you're much more gradual with it um yes your hormones are going to adjust because fat cells are basically responsible for a lot of that they're sending these signals out and as they're dying they're changing their signal and your body is going oh crap we have less body fat we have less body fat what do we need to do so when you do a 12-week crash diet, that means you're just putting the pedal to the metal for 12 weeks. What tends to happen is you do a 12-week crash rebound, right? When you do a six-month prep and it's just gradually getting you there and then you can gradually get back, I think the body responds much better. I've done – my first prep was 16 weeks and the last prep I did was 24 weeks. And the benefit I saw with the 24-week prep – was that I just maintained my strength much better. I maintained uh, more lean body mass. I was able to get leaner. Um, I, as a coach now, plan in diet breaks. You know, after spending some time with Eric Helms, we talked about some research that he's seen. Um, and diet breaks have, have become a valuable part of contest prep. So when you're not rushing things, the problem with the 12-week prep, if you've got 20, 25 pounds to lose, is uh, you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be crushing the cardio on low calories, you're going to lose more muscle. And I think overall, it's just more jarring to your body. Whereas with the gradual prep, uh, you are going to be able to allow your body to adapt and not be forcing it to adapt. Right. Um, I like what you said, but I actually just had recently. So I've been working with Jeff Nippert. I have a photo shoot coming up in sometime in February, and he's been kind of preparing me for that. And one of the things he had me do probably about a month or so ago was a diet break. And it was one of those things where I was like, shit, I don't want to bump my calories up that much. It kind of scared me a little bit. And the funny thing was is I probably gained a few pounds throughout the week and then it dropped immediately. And then the weeks following that, I actually saw really good results and I felt so much better afterwards. So I think for people out there that are interested in diet breaks, I actually wrote a full blog on it after I got done with the experience. Awesome. I think it's very, very powerful for the longevity of things and just keeping your hormones safe and actually just feeling better. And, and you have a great week in the gym when you do it as well. Yep, yep. I taper cardio. I bring the calories up. And I get the same response that you're talking about. It's uh, very much about fear. You know, some people are afraid of refeed. Some people have just been so guilted by eating, eating anything other than like 
poverty macros that they're so afraid of it that, uh, yeah, the, the, the process of doing a whole week at that freaks them out. But, again, it comes down to, like with Jeff, obviously the guy's got a freaky physique. He really knows his stuff. So you're going, all right, I trust this guy because, obviously, he's, he's put in the research. He's done the work himself. He's, he's, he's worked with people in the past, so he has the experience. And that's where, as a coach, the benefit of, you know, being considered a good coach, people are going to trust the process a little bit more. Right. Um, and so with someone like Jeff, obviously you said, this is what I need to do. This guy knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, uh, that's the great thing about nutrition. And, you know, we're still learning what works, what doesn't work. We're still examining things. Uh, we're not stuck in the dogmatic approach of the 80s anymore where people just ate five basic foods for 12 weeks and uh, binged after it and put on more body fat than they had before. Yeah. Um, so keeping on the, the trail of like the six month versus three month, Mike Israel had a, a good video about, um, I believe it was kind of about body, body fat reset point. Like, so resetting your body fat set levels. Um, one of the things he talked about is what he likes to do with clients is, is diet for two to four months. I think it was, and then actually take, a maintenance phase for, and even if you're still doing a low cardio, just bring calories up and just not try to lose so much weight for a good one to two months and then go back to it. So would you rather have somebody, um, instead of shooting for six months, shoot for a year and do that kind of uh, path where they're dieting and then actually taking a little bit of a break with you for a month or two and then going back to it? And do you think that has an effect of being able to maintain that fat loss in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I would think that that's a very good approach and that's something I actually do is I'll set a weight loss goal. If someone has 80 pounds to lose, we're not going to lose that in one shot. So I'll actually do a period of let's get to this goal weight. Let's lose 20 pounds. Let's lose 15 pounds. Let's spend some time reverse dieting, which is going to look a lot like what he calls a maintenance phase. The difference is, I mean, in my opinion, with a reverse diet, I'm going to try to gradually walk calories up as long as we're maintaining weight and uh, things are going good. But you get into that phase where, okay, you're actually going to perform better in the gym. You're going to likely add some lean body mass. Your motivation is going to go up. And so you're going through this, instead of just being beaten down for 12 months straight, you're actually able to maintain and then drop, maintain and then drop. And that's, when we're talking about lifestyle clients like you are, um, that's how you get to a big sustained weight loss and, and then be able to maintain it. We don't want to do biggest loser style and lose like 18 pounds a week, 10 pounds a week. Realistically, one to one and a half, maybe 2% per week if we're someone that's you know, closer to the over overweight obese category. But for, for general pop, mostly healthy, a little bit overweight, 1% per week is what you want to shoot for. Cool. Very cool. Um, do you want to give the listeners like a de your definition of flexible dieting? I get talked about this a lot because I'm a big proponent of it. And I think a lot of the people that I see, and you probably experience this too, get confused because I say I'm a big proponent of it. But if you go on my Instagram or Facebook, you never see me posting pictures of ice cream and, and drinking a bunch of beer or wine or anything. And I do fit those things in here and there. But I think people get it twisted because they see these people on Instagram that are ripped out of their minds eating In-N-Out burgers every other day. and Or they just have 80 pictures of that one time they ate it and they scatter them across the timeline. Yeah. Um, but – I've talked about my definition of it. I'd love to hear yours so the listener could, can, can kind of see like multiple perspectives of what flexible dieting actually should be. So here, here's, here's the cool thing about the term flexible dieting for me is that it's got a couple different meanings. In terms of hitting your macronutrient goals for the day, uh, for me, that means that it's, a, it's an exchange system. So flexible meaning 
You don't have to eat chicken. You don't have to eat turkey. You don't have to have whey protein. You don't have to have tuna. You don't have to have something you don't like. You can exchange it. So there is a good exchange for rice. There's a potato. There's a good exchange for chicken. There's turkey. There's a good exchange for peanut butter, right? Uh, fats. Any, any food you eat, there's an exchange for it. What I think you're referring to is the, the – it's almost like two sects now, flexible dieting and IIFYM, fitting, if it fits your macros. And so if we're talking about gen pop people, the uh, lifestyle people you're talking about, I'm fine with them using an IIFYM approach if they're hitting their daily goals. If we're talking about elite athletes, pro natural bodybuilders, pro bikini competitors, you know, the type of athletes that I work with, then when I talk to them about flexible dieting, it's, all right, maybe we're having too much broccoli. Maybe, the you know, it's slowing down your digestion. Let's switch to a different vegetable. It's not let's include a Pop-Tart every day. Because when you get to the elite level, calories get low. You and I know satiety matters, volume matters, uh, micronutrients matter. So I don't want to, uh, you know, I made a video about hating on IIFYM. I actually don't hate it. I just hate the proliferation of information that you're talking about where it's, oh, this person gets shredded and they only ate this. No, that person eats 42 meals a week of chicken and rice and broccoli. And then once a week, they fit in a burger and fries, but that's the only thing they show you. Yeah. Right. The other definition of flexible dieting is if I don't hit my daily goals, if I go over or under, I can be flexible the next day and go over or under to balance out a two day, a three day, a four day period. With the holidays coming up, uh, I like to talk about banking your calories. If I know I'm going to go to my mom's and she's going to make some Paula Deen recipes that are crazy high in fat and sugar and carbs, I'll bank 10, 15 grams of fat and 30, 40 grams of carbs a day for a week and go in with 500 carbs and 150 grams of fat that I haven't eaten all week and I can't wait, right? So that's where flexibility to means. It doesn't just mean the food choices to me. It also means the ability to be flexible on a day-to-day basis. Right, 100%. Now, do you have like a recommendation for clients as far as, obviously when you get closer to stage, it's pretty important to be more accurate to those numbers, but let's say your goal is to hit 200 grams of protein. Do you have a flexibility of saying five to 10 grams on carbs, fats, and protein, or two to three grams on fat, just staying within your boundaries day to day, or do you are you pretty um, consistent about hitting those numbers? 100%, I agree. Uh, I tell my clients they are 100% compliant if they're within 10 grams on protein and carbs and five grams on fat, or they hit their same calorie goal for the day, okay. right? So they're a little over on carbs, let's go a little under on protein, something like that. So as long as they're in the same calorie range for the day within, you know, like 40, 50 calories. Right. And I do the same. And I think the reason I wanted to hear you say that as well is because I think people misinterpret it. And like you said, they only assume flexible dieting is about the food choice and they forget that it can be flexible in other, other means as far as how many calories you're getting and stuff like that. And I actually do the same thing. I love that post you did about banking your calories because I'm literally getting ready to do the same thing because I'm excited for yeah. my, everything my grandma's going to be cooking this weekend. So totally get it. Um, yeah. couple more questions before we get into the personality question and call it good. Last year I went to, uh, and I think, are you going to be at the physique summit this year? Uh, I haven't decided yet. That's okay. like right in the middle of the summer. It's super busy with shows. Uh, my friend and business partner, Lauren Coleman, is presenting there this year. Uh, you know, I'm friends with John. I'm friends with Cliff. So it's, it's going to be hard not to be there, but I, I can't commit to it just yet. Right. So I went there last year. I just got my ticket for there this year. I'm actually pretty excited. And one of the things I've heard Cliff and then uh, Jason Theobald talk about as well is nutrient timing. When, when a client hits a plateau – 
sometimes instead of them taking calories, taking carbs out of their diet, adding cardio, whatever, they'll actually just manipulate their timing and say, hey, I want you to put the majority of your carbs around your training or I want you to eat uh, most of your fat and protein meals separate from your fat and carb meals and vice versa. Do you have any opinion on that? I know some people are completely against it and it's, as long as you get your calories, you're good. Some people believe that that is the next step and, and why not do that instead of pulling calories if you can? I'd love to hear your opinion and, and how you go about that. So the question being, calories equal, does timing matter? Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, kind of. Does, do, you, do you influence timing at all with your clients when they're kind of getting specific? Yeah. So it's all about adherence and consistency. I find the people that are the most goal-driven, they want to win the IFBB Pro Card, they want to win the Natural Pro Card, they want to be a Natural Pro Champion, they are going to space their meals the way I suggest. So I do, based on the research and all my experiences, I do suggest spacing protein doses out four to six hours. I do suggest uh, you get the bulk, 50 to 60% of your carbs pre and post-workout. Now, that can depend. If you're working out at 5 a.m. in the morning, maybe you don't eat you know, a huge meal before you work out and you have a meal before bed that is acts as your pre-workout meal type of thing. But I do have some guidelines that I do provide um, for people that are very concerned about body composition and performance. For other people that it's only about adherence and they work a crazy shift schedule and it's just about getting the calories in, I work with people that like to do intermittent fasting. You know, I have no problem with that. I still believe they should not have more than like, you know, 80 or 100 grams of protein in a meal just because you can get more uh, spikes to your muscle protein synthesis if you space it out throughout the day. But if that's the only way that they can adhere, then I'm fine with it. Yes. So I, I do believe there is some value in, um, you know, the timing especially as we get leaner and leaner. Right. Very cool. Very cool. I, I totally agree. So one last question for you is actually a personality question. We like to do this at the end with the uh, people we interview. This is the story. You're on a plane and you're actually flying to Japan. So you got a long trip ahead of you. You're in the middle seat and you have two empty seats to the side of you. You can choose anyone to sit in those seats. They can be dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. Who would you choose? They cannot be family. Or friends. Uh, or, or friends. Dead so, or alive. I mean, definitely, this is The Rock. He's sitting right here. Uh, <laughs> huge, huge fan of The Rock. Um, and it's a flight to Japan. Like I, I might have to go hours. with Gary Vaynerchuk, dude. Yeah. It might have to be The Rock and Gary Vaynerchuk because I can't imagine all the... I've learned so much from him just watching his videos and his Daily V and his, uh, you know, his his question, Ask Gary V stuff. Um so, yeah, I, th I think that those would be two really good choices. I don't think I would be wanting that plane to ever land. <laughs> I, I actually would love to sit next to both those guys. That would be an interesting conversation. Very good yeah. answer. So before we hang up, why don't you uh, tell everybody where they can find you, your website, your YouTube, all that good stuff, so we can plug you a little bit. Well, thank you for that. Uh, my website is prophysique.com, pretty basic. It's, uh, it's old and outdated. But I'm working on developing some new stuff and some new products that are going to be that are going to be built into the site. Uh, all my social media is at Paul Ravella. Uh, my last name is R E V E L I A, so it's a little odd. But yeah, so um, my two favorite platforms are without a doubt YouTube and Instagram. Uh, I try to bounce things off both of those. I'm not much of a Twitterer. Uh, I do like to use Snapchat, but I don't do it every day. What I'll tend to do is if I'm going on a trip and I can't really document. I will actually 
do a lot of Snapchatting during the trips, like for nationals and for like uh, expos, things where I don't actually have the time to do video content. Right. Um, so those are my two main things. Uh, Facebook, is, of course, I, I have a Facebook page for for my business, for myself as an athlete, all that nonsense. So, yeah, I think the good thing about my last name is that I'm the only one. Uh, so if you find if you type in Ravella, you're gonna find me. Um, and then um, I think that's it. I mean, I want to obviously talk about Core Nutritionals, uh, Doug Miller's company. I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. Just um, it, it gives me great pride to not only be associated with it, but be involved in all that he's doing and moving forward with his business, with his distributors, with his stores. Uh, you know, they're in Australia now. They're uh, all over North America. His brand has grown completely organically. No, no advertising and you know, muscle and fitness. And it's been, uh, it's been so great to just see good products at a reasonable price, properly dosed, no proprietary blends. You know exactly what you're getting. Right. Um, and, and, and he's flourishing. Um, so it's been great to be associated with that. And then finally, my bodybuilding show this November 11th, the OCB Florida West Coast Classic. It's a pro qualifier. Gave out four pro cards last year. And uh, the show almost doubled in size. So I'm going all in this year. I am hoping to make this the crown jewel of natural bodybuilding in Florida uh, within the next couple of years. And I've got nothing but good feedback. And I continue to just put all effort into the show. Every dollar that it makes goes back into the show the next year. It is purely uh, a passion project for me. So uh, if anyone's interested in being involved with a sponsorship for the show, with coming and competing at the show, email me, paul at prophysique.com, and we'll make it happen. Awesome, man. Appreciate you being on the podcast, brother. Well, it's uh, from the first time I saw your name, I knew we were going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think you commented on one of my posts or something. I said, no, that's a great name. And so uh, I look forward to meeting you at either the Arnold or one of these uh, events that we'll be at together uh, in the near future. Absolutely, man. Me too. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry your partner couldn't be on the call. Poor Theo. Get rid of Comcast. If you love the Mind vs. Muscle podcast, want more free content, and you want to support the movement, share this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. To get your questions answered on the next episode, see the show notes for our social media handles and hashtag mind versus muscle.